this is Trent Knox with Austin Live and Local. This is live in the ATX with Landfest, uh, Representative Chris Grassel. Uh, would you introduce yourself, Chris Grassel? Hey, mate. Um, I'm actually local here in San Marcos. I run the local chapter of Landfest, uh, Landfest Austin. We do an event every year out of the Intel campus. Um, so, go to the scene and I also work a little bit with DreamHack here and there. Awesome. Um, so I grew up here in in the Austin area, and um, I didn't know anything about the about the local esports um, environment. But I've been told as uh, uh, that it's been growing for quite some time. When did you get into the scene? So um, in about 2013, 2014. I don't remember exactly when there. Uh, I was at UT. Um, involved in the TESPA organization, and I got a, they sent out a, like a document that says, hey, sign up to help out with uh, South by Southwest. Um, at that time, Landfest was running the gaming uh, free play for South by. So I came by and uh, got very excited about it because I'd been doing this sort of events previously. And from there, it was just grew. Um, got involved in the local chapter as well as working on our national org because um, we're a massive organization. I think we're at 18 chapters now, uh, which is 18 cities all across the United States, each running lands from sizes of 100 man. I think we lost you for a second there, Chris. Uh, you were you were talking about a hundred man lanes. Um, have good experiences as well as making money for charity. Uh, oh, ch the, yeah. I, we lost you for a second there, Chris. Uh, you you dipped out. Hmm. Are you there? Yeah. No, I I can hear you now. Okay, that's a bit odd. Um, where did you lose me? Uh, you said that uh, Landfest, a hundred man. Uh, so we ran a hundred man land uh, up to uh, six hundred thirty-eight for our largest chapter at Netwar. Oh, okay. Uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so it's it, it's combination with those eighteen chapters, each of which is creating unique gaming experiences for people while raising money to for charity. Which the other cool part of it is is that each of our particular chapters uh, pick the charity that's important to them awesome so uh, what are some of the charities that have been uh, benefited from the Austin uh, chapter um, so for this year um, we're really being working with able gamers and there might even uh, send some people over um, in previous years we were working with um, operation supply drop because uh, okay. those guys are amazing blokes um, they actually came by to each of our lands um, Although I believe they have split off into two separate charities, so we're waiting for them to figure themselves out before we get back involved with them. Um, so there's a lot of really great options out there. Um, Operation Supply Drop, if you didn't know, um, they what they do is they build like gaming kits to send out that are like in like hard boxes, so they can be you know out in the desert and stuff for uh, our troops overseas, um, which is amazing because it's a super important thing for keeping morale up 
Definitely, definitely. Um, while able people who are not uh, able to use a standard keyboard or mouse and controller, people who may have muscular dystrophy or something that uh, that impairs their ability, but we experience. Uh, and so there's just a lot of out there, and it and that's need for charity. It's tough to pick one because there's so many. Yeah. Uh, you still? Yeah, I think we lost. We lost you for a moment there. Um, I'm hearing some clicking, but I'm not hearing any sound there. Yeah, we. Uh, I I lost your your your. Your voice chat there for a second it, uh, it had disconnected for a minute um, so with this uh, with this event uh, can you give us some details I know it's on August 24th right correct yeah so uh, August 24th through 26th um, uh, we were at the Intel campus so it's you know you just rock up it's they got a whole big parking lot um, where we have kind of finished their day of work so we're we start up about seven ish mm -hmm. you want to come up an hour early to help us set up that's great. We, we'd appreciate it. Um, you bring your computer. Um, we're going to have some tournaments there running throughout the weekend. Um, and we do have a significant amount of sponsors, so we usually have a big pile of prizes to give away. Um, and what we usually do with those raffle ticket into, excuse me, into the giant pile of prizes. Um, so there's things like video cards, motherboards. Uh, we get pretty good SSDs from Intel every year. Um, those were usually the 512s. Mm -hmm. As honestly, like, <laughs> I wish I could win some of that stuff, but you know, you got to be impartial. So th there's a lot of really cool stuff. Plus it's the old school LAN environment. We, you know, we'll sit down in a group of hundred people and play some tournaments. You know, we have, it, it's overnight. So it's like sometimes at midnight, someone's like, Hey, I feel like playing quick live and just 10 people go and play quick live or, oh, yeah. um, uh, another real big popular thing is, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Jackbox games. Yes. Uh, we chuck that up on a TV and you play like Quibbage and all those fun little games. It's just something that's a good time to hang out with some people uh, for a couple of days and just like relive that land party thing that you had as a kid. At least I did. I, I love it every year because it just makes 50 new friends. Yeah, it's great times. Um, can you talk about like the origin of the event? Who, who begun the land fest? So Landfest started off in um, the Intel campus, I believe, up in Washington, which was just a whole bunch of Intel employees that wanted to play video games on a lunch break. Uh, that grew to the point where they were having big LAN events that where it was, you know, they would have a, the Intel kind of cafeteria and have a weekend where a whole bunch of people would come in. From there, Intel had, you know, great groups of people doing this across the country and now Intel is still our biggest sponsor but we're our own organization um, so we have like the benefit of Austin and mm -hmm. we're very thankful to Intel for this because they let us use our, their venue but not all of our uh, chapters run out of an Intel campus like Netwar for example they outgrew their um, 
anything an Intel campus could do a very long time ago. They're yeah. on a fairground with their 600 people. Wow. Okay. Uh, and we're we're constantly growing. Um, one of the neat things is I, I spearhead Landfest Nationals, bringing on new chapters. Uh, I think in the last year we just brought on two new chapters, one out of Louisiana and uh, well, no, Tampa was previous year, and then one out of uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, okay, nice. So we're definitely growing, and that—that's it. Really, is a great thing for anybody who's out there who's interested in building a group, uh, because we, the chapter portion is where. You want to be, you're in a group, you want to build a, a land fest event where you're having a dope land and making some money for charity. Landfest has that system in place to support them. Um, currently, I'm working with a group out of Houston to run a Houston event. Oh, nice. I'm not sure what, when that's going to come into play. The venue that they had their eye on, unfortunately, got uh, flooded with those horrific rains a while back. Oh, yes. So they're still figuring out a venue, but... Houston, fingers crossed, something soon. Um, we're also looking at maybe doing uh, the Austin group, doing uh, something down in San Antonio maybe in the spring. Yeah, they could use that too. Yeah, it, it, the real benefit is there's no real downside to doing these because mm -hmm. it's you show up, you pay, I think our ticket price is 25 bucks, which includes, uh, I think, two meals uh, plus a giant thing of soda. So Intel beautifully has their us in their um, cafeteria type area, and they refill refill the soda machine that we can use all weekend. Oh, that's very and, nice. Yeah, so you get food, you get drink, you get a hangout, have some tournaments to charity. Uh, I, for me, it's that's what attracted me to Landfest to begin with, because it's just a real easy and beautiful system that there's no downside to it. Yeah, it definitely sounds great. I mean, um, you talk about DreamHack. And, um, you know, one of the things that was a concern during those things is uh, food and, and beverage and, you know, um, somewhere to stay and, and sleep. Uh, and I know that's a struggle for a lot of conventions. Oh, absolutely. Especially DreamHack in Austin. And working with them as well. It's um, the downside to DreamHack being in Austin is the convention center there will not let them do on site sleeping. Mm -hmm. um, well, other convention centers, so like uh, our, the one where we run out of Atlanta and uh, up in Montreal here in September, they let us, they say, hey, people can sleep in the site, so we have a, some security mm -hmm. and people bring sleeping bags. Yeah. Uh, and that'll be the same thing with uh, Landfest Austin. We have a dark corner that people can bring a sleeping bag, and there's a few couches, but they're, unless you're really short, they're not that great. Yeah. Because uh, uh, they're more for two people sitting, but jump on the uh, bring a sleeping bag that's what we usually do bring a sleeping bag and a blanket and just when you're tired jump in the corner have a nap for a couple hours then back to the gaming so um, over the t um, since you started working with uh, Landfest and, and in Austin for, since 2013 what have you seen about the landscape of esports and gaming culture in Austin how much has it changed well it, it, it has a radical change. Um, mm. Back in when I started, the only real main gaming thing was um, the South by South Gaming Expo. So, mm. And that was run out of, I believe, the Palmer Center at that time. And it was, it was okay, but it was not like something that people were like going to in droves. Okay. Um, we've seen South by Southwest 
kind of start to grow up in their gaming side. Now they're they're actually run out of the main convention center now. Right. Um, that was a lot to uh, – I don't know if you've met him uh, when you were around at DreamHack. Uh, Justin Burnham, really big guy, tattoos. He fed hmm. that uh, growth for a number of years. Amazing bloke. He now actually works for DreamHack. Oh, okay. Um, so there's been a lot of changes and those sort of things. Um, we've seen a lot of really big names step up and, like, push the scene. Plus, yeah. DreamHack coming in at uh, 2016 was a major milestone. Mm. It, it went from, you know, a small little – the biggest thing we had was the South by Southwest to a dedicated gaming convention. Because um, I also used to work Paxel, and they mm -hmm. had a little gaming room but uh, that we did free play and BYOC, but it just – it, it's this there it, it's grown because we it has competition and dreamhack is showing the way not not to say dreamhack's perfect obviously but mm -hmm. that the fact of the big just solely gaming coming into play with austin as being was the hub mm -hmm. and i think it still is right um it, it really has helped grow the scene we've seen a significant amount of more esports teams come into play uh i know I, i'm not a hundred percent but i know we have don't we have a Overwatch League team or is that Houston? We don't. I Houston think does. Houston does. Mm -hmm. All right, but still though, Hugh Texas has really grown into the scene um, mm -hmm. because previous to that we didn't really have a lot. We had local league tournaments hosted by um, I think they're Longhorn Gaming now. They used to be Texas uh, UT Tespa, but uh, oh right, I'm still not yeah 100 percent sure because the Tespa org still exists. Yeah, they're still heard, figuring yeah. that out. Um, but that was really the biggest things we had. We had Pack South, which we would run BYOC tournaments, um, which I actually ran them in 2016, actually, mm. um, for the BYOC. And we would have like 30, 40 people sign up for a tournament to the point where it was not really worthwhile to do. Mm, okay. Uh, because like I'd have League of Legends and I'd only have two or three teams, so it's like, well, what do we do here? Right. Now we have, uh, I think the, I don't have exact numbers right right in front of me, uh, but for DreamHack Austin we had, I don't know, thirty or forty teams for some of these big games. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's really been a growth, and Austin's showing to be, well, not just Austin. I'm thinking Texas is showing to be a real big hub for this yes um because we've got the hub over in california with the we've got dreamhack running out of austin we've mm -hmm. got a overwatch thing in houston with uh coma paloozas opening up a bigger gaming group mm -hmm. and then we've got uh, i just worked with these guys optic gaming up in dallas right yeah uh optic they're building their venue we just mm -hmm. actually ran with them i and this is just me doing contract work on the side. This wasn't affiliated with anybody this else. At, this is at Acon. Acon, we did the yeah. Fortnite thing, okay, and that yeah. was impressive. Granted, Fortnite's still like I wish they had given us all of the tools that they <laughs> announced at uh, E3 earlier, right? Because um, yeah. we we had to jury rig a system to make it work, but we still had. Um, I think throughout the day we ran. Uh, games of a hundred uh, was actually no seventy PCs, and those were full the entire day with a waiting line. Very it nice. shows how like the Austin area really has, and not just Austin, but just Texas. Yes. Having down 
from um, all of the surrounding states to come and do stuff in Texas. Yeah, definitely. Because there's nothing else in our region that's as big, which is super, super cool. Here's um, I, because at DreamHack in South by uh, there was a big presence of uh, the Houston Outlaws, like you were talking before. Um, I was curious about the presence of the Dallas Fuel and if uh, because they don't seem to be coming down to these events here in in Austin. Um, if if they're just sent, if they're located in Dallas and they mostly do events up in North Texas, or if they're thinking about coming down south to do events. So I, I haven't really worked a lot with the Dallas Fuel. Um, I think for right now, the big thing is is they a lot of their needs are being met specifically with Dallas has a huge amount of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. um, and as far as like a lot of that stuff, we haven't had because they're a big team, we haven't had the big tournaments that make those pro guys come in. Because um, like for South by and Dreamhack, for a lot of those tournaments, those are all BYOC stuff, right. um, which is great. But generally, they don't attract as much of the big teams mm -hmm. uh, because they don't have the $100,000 prize pool. Because I don't think we've had uh, anything in Texas uh, Overwatch oriented as far as like a pro something or other. No, I don't, I don't believe so. <clears throat> and I think that's going to be the big defining moment. If we want them to start moving around, I think it needs to be a pro Overwatch tournament for them to show up. Right. Um, the Houston guys, they show up everywhere just because I think <laughs> they just want to have fun. But yeah. the Dallas guys, they got a big new esports arena going on. Mm -hmm. And um, really, they don't have a need to come down yet until we show, have like in Austin or San Antonio or something, a pro Overwatch thing. Now, I don't know. Like, the one downside is, is because I'm only a contractor for DreamHack. I can't. I don't know what the next big thing that DreamHack will be doing in uh, wherever Austin's next year, whatever that's happening, because I'm right, not yeah. involved in that side. Mm -hmm. I'd love to have all the secret information to share, but unfortunately, I don't. Um, yeah. But uh, I think they just did announce Overwatch for Atlanta, maybe in Montreal, something or other. Yeah. So they, we we will see them at those, but it really is going to take those big prize pools to get. Uh, to see those both the fuel and the outlaws show up in an event definitely because um, we it's great to engage the amateur scene and as far as has it uh, um we've got uh sandland as well so there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff for just the average couple hundred bucks uh, we just did a massive Rocket League tournament that some actual pros showed up to out of the Google Fiber Center uh, in Central Austin. Yes, yeah. A couple of weeks ago. And that was a lot of fun. Um, so the, the options are there, but those are going to be primarily more targeted at your, you know, your players who are great, but they're not like on a pro team. Because dealing with the pros they're great and it, it it's what makes the viewers show up but mm -hmm. those guys usually don't get out of bed for out for without the big prize pool right that's true um but it's good to have both i think in our kind of region yeah definitely you and i uh you know i actually i told you how i came across the land fest event uh one of our followers had 
retweeted the uh, one of the posts that had gone out about the Landfest being official and it'll be going on this year. Um, but we actually had connections through Vernon Settles, who's uh, been doing a lot of the UConnect stuff out of uh, out of Austin, and uh, I, I'm he has a collegiate portion of that that he's involved in. Um, where do you see the college uh, esports athletes uh, in the future? Do you think it'll be similar to what we see with traditional sports? That I think is kind of tough. Um, the reason behind that is if you look at, we've only got, if you look at the, the esports games, we've only got two or three games that were around in the esports scene five or six years ago, right? Mm -hmm. The issue with a lot of the college stuff is, is that when you're in a college basketball player, mm -hmm. you learn how to play it. You go to college for your four years while doing that. And the idea being is basketball still going to be around when you graduate so you can go into outside of the college pro scene to the bigger pro scene. Yes. The issue with a lot of these esports stuff is, is that, oh, I want to be a PUBG pro. Mm -hmm. So I go and I take the esports degree and I spend the four years. The scary part of that is, is, is that PUBG may not be around. Yes. Um, that's going to be the big thing is, is we've got it, for esports to really survive, those programs and I, I'm seeing them evolve, but they they need to not just be focusing on the guys playing the one game. They need to make sure their skill set is around a certain genre or something, so they can keep going in that esports scene. If, for example, the the the, the popular games that make the money change, mm -hmm. I know um, a couple of the pros I worked with Fortnite. Uh, some of those guys came over from Halo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and while a lot of the skills are kind of transferable, it it's important for those players to really make sure that they can move from one to another. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, that scene's going to be the esports scene's going to be very fluid, but it's still a valuable scene. Um, we see multiple companies starting to pop up now. Uh, Uconnect's one of them. Uh, I was chatting to a guy who's working on uh, I think it's called Geeks with a few X's in there somehow. Okay. And they're working on a collegiate thing. It, it's all very big and popular, and there's going to be a lot of companies trying to get involved in that. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing is, is that the winner's going to have to be very sure that they keep fluid on the scene because basketball doesn't change, mm -hmm. but the popular sport for eSports will. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, because, well, we've seen, at least in the past... I guess a year now because Fortnite it's uh, had its birthday two days ago, or yesterday or something like that, and yeah, uh, I think so. we've had six. I want to say six battle royale games come out. Uh, well, five, and then Call of Duty is coming out in November. Yep. But we saw that not just with battle royale. We saw that the previous generation with the Call of Duty clones. Then mm -hmm. uh, when World of Warcraft was popular, it was a I don't know. I think there was there was like ten or twelve MMOs. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a Warhammer one that lasted like six months. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that that's gonna be the tough thing is is that we we as a gaming industry and some of the devs, a lot of these publishers are trend chasing instead of developing trends, which is a scary thing mm -hmm. because, well, 
there's only going to be one, two top games in a in a genre. Right, right. You you have a the game that uh, the esports game that everyone's playing, and the other ones die off. Like right. the Calling Two, for example, was a PUBG game type game. Mm-hmm. They just refunded everybody because it didn't do anything better, and it was pretty mediocre. Oh, and a, there's a lot of games out uh, there doing the battle royale that die off. Um, H1Z1. There's that one. Uh, H1Z1. There was the one that does the by the guys who did Lawbreakers. Uh, that game. Na- the name of the game escapes me at this exact moment. Uh, mm. Cliff Bazinski. Um, did that. Uh, it was his thing. Radical Heights. That's what it was called. Okay. That game's dead now. Um, because they're tracing ch- trends, and that's. That's going to be a difficulty. Is is that, or as a dealing with the devs, is they've got to be making sure they're not. Um, and that that makes a big scary thing for our esports because they're going to be companies throwing money at. Oh, uh, we have the new game and right. no one's playing it, but we'll throw money at it to try to get a to try to get an esports thing. Um, yeah. Lawbreakers did that. Uh, from free play with DreamHack, they gave me uh, Lawbreakers on all my Steam accounts, and had a thing with the devs event to try to get people to play. Hmm. And yeah, it really works for our event organizers because we get money to do cool stuff, but it doesn't save mm-hmm. the game, unfortunately. Yeah, that um, I I don't know if you had a chance to see it. DreamHack that game, uh, Worm, Worm, Wormhole Wars. Um, I think I walked past it, but I was pretty stuck into free play most of the time I was at DreamHack Austin. Right, right. Um, yeah, this uh, this game, Wormhole Wars, or they changed the name recently. I, I I'm not sure what they changed it to. Um, it it looks very reminiscent of a Portal Two, uh, Halo Halo, um, mashup kind of game, um, with some Quake aspects to it as well. Um, it it's it looks like it has a competitive uh competitive scene that it could be built out of, but you know we've got I, I feel like there's only there's three main competitive scenes right now that's the the mobas the uh battle royales and then uh, the card games like Hearthstone and and coming soon um Architect uh are mm-hmm. are art artifact sorry not Architect uh artifact what do you think about um some of these, um, what are they called? Um, big uh, publishers like Blizzard, and um, they they just have the market to make uh, any game at this point, um, and and be the top dog. There's these small developers. I mean, Fortnite is not a small developer, um, but relative, it is not a small developer, but relatively compared to a Riot or a Blizzard, it is. Yeah, it, it's a tough call because, like, if you look at a lot of the Blizzard games, like Heroes of the Storm, mm-hmm. it's not a bad game. Mm-hmm. But the only reason it's kept afloat, not to be mean to the guys who love Heroes of the Storm, I play it regularly, mm-hmm. but the reason that that's kept afloat is because Blizzard has floated so much money to um, keep the game in the popularity sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, they throw so much money to run those big clashes in the esports scene yeah but it, it never had the following of um like league of legends or anything like that so it's tough for the small devs to do it 
because to break through, especially with Steam being the awful quagmire that it is to find new games, right? You've got to have that big money for the marketing, mm-hmm. which is sad because you know that's really not what should make a good game as the marketing. But those big developers, they can throw out a, ga- a game and put enough money into it that people will play it no matter what, mm-hmm. because it's got the name recognition and it's got the marketing money. Yeah, well, that's I, I think it's. It is difficult to define to find new games, and I think that it's as difficult in the influencer spectrum to find new influencers, uh, both athletes and content creators, um, because there's no um, unless it is competitive, unless they make these platforms like Steam and and uh, and YouTube and and different platforms competitive, and there being some sort of hierarchy or ranking system. Uh, which there is, but it's difficult to find out what is trending in both those and see who's downloading the games the most organically because those uh, those numbers can be manipulated through things like you were saying, like the bigger the developer, the more money that can be spent on the, on the influencer or the game. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, like, having dealt with a few indie devs in the past, it's it's they always are like it's a struggle mm-hmm. and i know the switch was actually really great for a while there for them um because it wasn't it was really easy to get featured and get their games off the ground but that's slowly getting overloaded too it's a it's a tough world out there um there's a lot of really great games that fly under their radar just because they don't have that um and that's why i love seeing these guys like at the shows trying to like being there and like showing their game in person it's not about the marketing it's about hey you guys are here sit down and see how actually great and that's really what it should be not you know a giant 60 foot picture of the call of duty guy in the middle of times square but it, it it's it's a not something that any of us really have the ability to change and right. it the same's on the influencer spectrum. Um, I, I know a couple good influencers that they've swapped over to Fortnite because the games that they genuinely enjoyed, they weren't getting the numbers that they wanted out of them. Right. Yeah. Um, they didn't switch over to Fortnite because they loved Fortnite. They switched over because they needed to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's that. That's tough. Yeah, it is, especially when you you you've invested so much uh, time and. And resources into uh, building a community around a game, uh, and to see the com- the community uh, w- doesn't doesn't um, return that investment to to you. It's, it, it is difficult, and and Fortnite obviously um, from from an influencer perspective has uh, grown tremendously over a short t- period of time. Um, it there. Well, a lot of um, a lot of people speculate that it's due to you know you can spend more time looking at the graphics of Fortnite than many other games because it's more uh, it's easier on the eyes than uh, a lot of these harsher games like uh, like P- PUBG, which have very harsh color tones and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Um... Like, we look at some of the older games going back in the years. You look at games like Borderlands and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. The the more cartoony thing has always been very popular because, as you said, it's easier. 
mm-hmm. to look at it with the brighter colors and it it's also gives more of a chill almost chill kind of feel to it mm-hmm. in PUBG you're you know it's the dark the gritty you know there's the it's tense but like in Fortnite you're looking bright colors there's the llamas that make funny noises you mm-hmm. you're building like crazy towers in the sky that aren't even really real yeah. so it's a, it's appealing not just to a wider audience but it's also less of a stressful game mm-hmm. Fortnite may be hardcore yes in a sense of the pro scene but it doesn't feel hardcore for say some you know kid who wants to just play it mm-hmm. yeah and that's really where it, it differentiates with PUBG PUBG you, anyone sitting down to play it it feels like a serious game. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with that, mind you. There's a place for both, I think, in our gaming sphere. Yeah, I mean, casual gaming and non-competitive gaming, I think there is. Um, and so, which way do you think that'll be... I mean, I think both will co- exist, but from a franchising point of for new developers and also an open, open source... Uh, you know, community-based system. Which way do you think that'll be favored more in future esports competitions? Um, so I I have actually spent some time chatting with both uh, the PUBG devs and the esports guys. Um, I was very fortunate. DreamHack sent me over to uh, their Sweden event in 2017, so I got to spend some time chatting with uh, the PUBG devs, and then I met him again at uh, Atlanta. And they're they're not bad blokes, but they they don't seem to be putting as much effort into the esports scene as they should. Mm-hmm. Um, while Fortnite is 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 only slowly catching up, as mm-hmm. I told you, doing that um, event up in Dallas at Acon was awful because we didn't have the tools to do it. So, yeah. But they're working very very hard to develop everything that could possibly be needed to get a. Um, esports scene. Um, they just added all of the, the spectator modes. They made the custom servers not terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, they're working very hard to foster that. Plus, they're throwing a lot more money in the PUBG does. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with that whole thing with the, the two different battle passes. I don't know if you followed that controversy thing where uh, the Fortnite's battle pass is a lot simpler and easier and versus the PUBG one, which is a lot slower to earn stuff. And certain things you earn in this battle pass that you pay for only mm-hmm. last, like, a certain amount of time. So the items disappear out of your inventory. I see. So it's, it's missteps like that that's really going to make Fortnite the longer-lasting game in my mm-hmm. Um And we're already seeing that with Fortnite. They got... The was ten million dollars they're putting towards esports over the next couple of years. Right. Uh, oh, ten million or a hundred million. Uh, it's one of the two. Yeah, yeah. I know it's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I think you're right. Maybe a hundred million, but that's really what's seen going. Right. Yeah. Players are going to stick around because they know that they're going to make big bucks. Right. Yeah. And then they they did the million dollar. Uh, charity giveaway for um, the E3 tournament, right? Yep. Yeah, so so where do you see uh, the future of esports going um, and what, uh, what type of uh, marketing and brand deals do you see for future developers and influencers? 
So I think the big thing is, is we've seen um, it grow even over the last couple of years. We're seeing more and more of the the kind of the tours. Um, so as we're seeing the big um, if gaming events start mm-hmm. to pop up, so like the Dream Hacks, uh, I know PAX is working on upgrading their esports side. We've got oh. South by Southwest, Comapalooza's mm-hmm. uh, doing theirs too. We've got a whole bunch of ones all over the country. I think we're going to see a lot more of the tours where it's um, we have a giant tournaments mm-hmm. that with pro players that are spread over multiple events. So like the entry is at uh, say whatever the first one is of the year. So maybe it's South by Southwest or something right, yeah. like that. And then the bigger and bigger qualifiers with the bigger go down until the end of the year, the biggest one mm-hmm. finals happen. Or more likely they'll probably be their own because like Blizzard does BlizzCon, that sort of thing. Uh, Blizzard's been doing it very well. They'll do um, like uh, mid-season qualifiers and all that at those events and we're starting to see that. Yes. Uh, for starting to see those and then they have their finals at BlizzCon. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe uh, Counter-Strike's doing the same thing to an extent. So I really feel that's going to be a big growth, and we see we probably will see a few more shows come into the gaming space. I know um, as part of doing the free play shows for DreamHack at like comic book conventions, mm-hmm, yeah, the big part of their bringing us in is because they want to get into that esports space. Yes, um, because while I, I don't know any numbers behind it, my understanding from chatting these guys is they're seeing a good overlap by people who are interested in the anime and the comic books and the people who are interested in gaming. Right. Yeah. I don't know what the numbers look like there, but it's significant enough for these conventions to be like, okay, we need comic books for in our show and we need a gaming put show spot. Yes. Um, so it, it's going to change. I think we're going to, after a while, end up in a saturated market as far as this, and it's gonna we're going to have a bubble. And then we're going to go back to more of a stable thing where it's we have a, I don't know, five or ten throughout the year, and that's where it works out. Because that, that's the difficulty with these shows is yeah. that the um, average attendee for these shows is uh, male. Uh, I think it's like 18 to 32 or something along those lines. I mm. forget from the briefings I've got. Mm-hmm. But that's the average amount. And, well, you know, the college student and the graduated college student who's now making okay money is making money they mm-hmm. don't and it's uh, these sort of, of traveling to dream hack or any of these events packs it costs money mm-hmm. it costs a lot of money um uh, i know a mate of mine he, he they're going to quake um so like the they have to pay 800 or something dollars just for the hotel room for the the week yes and that's cheap and that's not including their flight and travel Mm-hmm. So there are these people who are the target audience, unless we figure out how how to these events figure out how to widen their audience scope, which they're working on it, but they're not quite there yet. Right. Uh, there's going to be a limitation on the amount of like it's a, a limited pool of people at the current time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I just went to the um, the anime convention Okashi Con, and you. You mentioned you mentioned that they're starting to do that, and they happen to have uh, have a free to play area, and they did a couple different tournaments during the time that 
that the the event was going on. Um, n none for none for any prizes, but um, but it, but it is something to say that you won something. But it seemed that they were focusing uh, more on console gaming. So I think I do think that the there's a place for these uh, comic conventions and anime conventions with comic with uh, the fighting games, uh, old school classic games, and uh, console games in general. I, I'm not too sure that they'll have space for um, for land fest or land festivals or land based games. It, it definitely is uh, something that it, it it consoles are significantly easier to do. Um, a group I've worked with, uh, they're called Gaming Gen. They do most of those. Mm -hmm. uh, they just rock up with the consoles and show. Uh, they just basically rent the consoles for these shows. They rock up, show, set them up for them. Mm -hmm. uh, consoles are much easier to do, mm -hmm. um, and there, there's, there's good. That's a great way to get in, um, and there's nothing, no downside to doing it because uh, right, yeah. they're not super expensive to run. Uh, especially with the convention centers, internet is very expensive at convention centers, mm -hmm. um, like insanely expensive. Uh, most of the convention centers around, uh, they use a service called Smart City, which mm -hmm. is a thousand bucks a megabit, mm -hmm. which is just nasty. So consoles are a definite great way to go because a lot of the fighting games you could play locally. Uh, a thousand um, bucks a megabit. That is wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's why a lot of these shows you'll see like two or three networking guys running around like a chicken because um, like for example the Akon show that I ran the show at Akon the Optic Arena event I, we were running 100 PCs off a 20 meg connection mm -hmm. because the, to go to 50 it'd be another $30,000 um, no, uh. it is possible with things like uh, in caching, which is where you you uh, redirect the Steam traffic so it's it downloads locally and uh, limiters to be able to do stuff like that. But yeah, the the cost is significantly higher for PC gaming. Mm -hmm. But I'm I've seen multiple shows trying to do it. Um, I've uh, I've taken our kit to um, five or six shows over the last couple years that wanted it. Uh, Comapalooza down in Houston. Then we had Anime Mitsuri, also in Houston. Uh, Momocon. I feel like I'm forgetting one. There's another one I've done. Uh, but there's a few different, those type of conventions mm -hmm. um, that really like that sort of thing because evidently they believe that that's what the next big thing is. Consoles there and PC gaming's there too now. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I don't know whether that's really going to be the way to do it mm -hmm. because the big thing is a lot of these places are in convention centers that it's tough to do. Right, yeah. Uh, the reason that DreamHack doesn't have uh, the convention, uh, doesn't isn't in certain places is because the convention centers can't do the internet and power that they need. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the biggest things that comes down to why DreamHack picks where it picks. Picked Austin because Austin doesn't have that smart city uh, system where it's a thousand dollars a megabit. Uh, right. Same with Atlanta, but it's a tough thing. I think that they're going to keep trying now, mm -hmm. uh, at least for the in both the PC and console space for all of these uh, anime and comic book conventions. Whether or not it'll work out for all of them, I don't think so, uh, but. They definitely look like they're trying. Yeah, definitely. Um, with DreamHack, especially this past year, um, 
amount of cons the consumption of power is is uh, is a concern, obviously. Um, but did oh you yeah, have they blew a transformer. It? Yeah. See. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's. I I wasn't directly involved, um, but I, uh, part of being on the DreamHack Slack, and I, I was running around, figure out what was going on. Basically, the long story short on that one is, is that um, each of the rows was mm -hmm. on a separate circuit, but right, multiple yeah. circuits are connected to multiple transformers. Mm -hmm. So basically what happened is the, the power kept going out and they kept just resetting the transformer, mm -hmm. but what it, the transformer was just buggered. So what they needed to do is actually replace the thing. Oh, uh, that's yeah. why there was so much power issues is because the, it, it came down to DreamHack would the power go out, DreamHack guy would uh, run down there and be like, hey, the power's out, and they would click the, they'd turn it off and back on again. Oh, it'd work for a while until the power consumption spiked in a certain way mm -hmm. that would cause it to trip back. Initially, after, I think it was like mid-Saturday before yeah. I forget exactly when. Because the earlier power thing with my air, the operation center, which is all the network, but they moved it off. They transformed, which took a lot of convention centers. Imagine. Insanely expensive. But, you know, pays to a convention center like that. Yeah, they gotta do it, and they go faster than they they should. I can't imagine that. Like, the... don't get me wrong. I'm not gonna say, oh, DreamHack does nothing wrong. Right. Um, but the issue with the power there, that was not really on them. No, I can't. Um, I wouldn't have never blamed them, and I I couldn't can't imagine that the convention or DreamHack would have imagined that that many people would have turned out. And that that would have happened. Uh, well, no, we they knew quite a far ahead of time what we were expecting as far as numbers. Um, the thing is, is then it it was just a power issue. The issue with these a lot of these convention centers is they move very very slowly. Mm -hmm. um, it it's not an issue where they weren't expecting it or anything like that. It's mm -hmm. what they're they have guys around to help when things break, mm -hmm. but they move very very slowly. Um, a good example of that is when we were setting up for DreamHack Austin this year. Um, we had internet to a lot of our areas significantly slower than we wanted to for setup, which slowed down our setup time significantly. Mm -hmm. uh, if you had popped by the free play area you'd, on Friday, you would have noticed that half the roads weren't open because they hadn't been configured. Right. Yeah. Um, the reason behind that is, is previous DreamHack, we ran our own fiber to our areas just across the roof with a cherry picker. Oh, okay. This year they, they didn't. They have they put in um, little tubes down underneath the floors, mm -hmm. which meant when we needed the, a network run, we had to get them to do it. Oh wow! Okay. And that that slowed down the process because our network guy, our main network guy, was basically just sitting there waiting on it most of the time. Mm. Uh, it, it's a tough thing because, like, they're, they're not to disparage unions because unions do great things, but. It's a union thing where it's those convention centers, their unions are a little warped in the sense that they don't really have any way to light a fire under their butts mm -hmm. um, to get stuff accomplished. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of issues with that. Like we, when we have trucks come in, we're not allowed to unload the trucks ourselves for unless we have a certain rulings or that because the unions want to be paid to move the stuff off the trucks. Little things like that make it really tough to do conventions like this. Mm -hmm. Um but in the long run, most of our attendees wouldn't even notice. Um, I definitely recommend if you really anyone's interested in the whole thing, 
uh, doing a, a volunteer for DreamHack or PAX mm-hmm. and then show up during setup because it really will change your whole outlook on how an event works. Seeing sure. behind the curtain is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine the the type of uh, type of work that goes into that um, is is easy, um, and I'm sure it's extremely time consuming. Yeah, but it's also worth it. Like um, at the recent DreamHack, just to see the like going from empty floor to that two story PUBG stage was just amazing. Um, to just see this, to see basically a small little. Uh, town almost just pop up over two days is just it, it's something else yeah it is definitely well i'm gonna uh i'm gonna let you let you go i uh, appreciate you coming and ch- having a chat with us and uh i can't wait to see what happens with land fest um it, it seems like an incredibly good event for austin and it can provide a place for local Austin gamers to grow and uh, potentially become professional gamers or turn gaming into a career. Good influencers there. Uh, If anyone's interested, it's running from August uh, 24th to 26th. And to register, you just go to landfest.intel.com. Awesome. Is there a place that we can uh, find yourself and maybe the Landfest social media? Uh, So, simple enough. On our lovely Landfest page, uh, if you go to our Austin event, it'll have the links to our Discord and our Facebook group. Uh, and you can, if you go into our Discord, I'll be right there, right at the top. My gamer name is Magical Zorse. What was the uh, Discord uh, name again? Uh, Landfest Austin. Uh, the link would be Discord GG. Uh, we got the custom thing slash Lfest Austin. Awesome. Hey, I can't wait to meet you in person. I appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, look forward to speaking with you in the future. Thank you for your time, mate. All right, take it easy, Chris.